Soaring with Franz. Welcome to the podcast of personal growth, new discoveries, and four intertwined paths. My name is Lily Beth, and I'm today's host. And I'm Andrea. And I'm Ashley. And I'm Gabby. And for today's topic, we'd love to commemorate Black History Month. We'd love to use our platform to speak on racism and colonialism within our very own communities, the Asian and Filipinx community. Disclaimer, in no way are we trying to compare these communities um, to each their own experiences. However, we'd like to bring awareness of the community conditions that continue to suppress and divide from each other. Um, We hope to express our personal lens, our personal experiences on racism, and uh, to provide allyship and a united force against the same system that sets us apart. On that note, why do y'all feel so strongly about this topic? Yeah, I think given the events um, in the past, not even just June, but in the past few years, um, there has always been this discussion on the different BIPOC communities for those of you who don't know are familiar with the acronym black indigenous people of color because we also acknowledge that not all people of color or minority groups experience the same uh different challenges in the united states and situations and so i think that given the events since i would say ferguson for me in 2014 that's been an, an issue to understand the place of the black community in history and in current society and coming from a non-black person understanding like what does it look like to support the community and provide allyship and that really culminated into a climax the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, this past summer especially now being black history month there's such more much more like social uh mainstream conversation around things for me i learned best through conversations and kind of just seeing where everybody 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 mm-hmm. sorry everybody is <laughs> that sounds so weird to me everybody is that in terms of how they're processing these things that really became clear to me during when um so i studied anthropology we were learning about like the history and like how these systems were developed that's when i really got to learn um, kind of like how these defensive systems were developed historically and that opened up like a whole new conversation for me and kind of like hearing stories in classes and like what academia and so we're like studying this um, these events as they unfold and then um, just having personal conversations with like friends as you we were studying like th- that opened up like a different way of like interacting with this because I think like for the longest time like bringing up what Ashley said Ferguson back in 2015 I don't really like I didn't have the space to kind of like process that like just kind of like going with the flow and being like oh that's terrible but like I didn't understand like what that meant as like an on a larger scale or like what my role was in those series of events right especially like 2015 I was 18 years old less than 18 years old so I just didn't I couldn't comprehend it then I think going off Lily Beth said in the very beginning with the disclaimer like I'm also very nervous (laughs) about like speaking about these topics because I'm fully aware I'm still like processing still learning yeah I think like one of the reasons why I like having these conversations as well is how to it helps me be like understand how to be like a better ally and like supporter of different communities um and I think a great example of that is the use of BIPOC instead of just POC and understanding why. And I wouldn't have learned that if I didn't have a conversation about that um, on the internet where a lot of things have been coming around recently. And so I love these conversations because it helps me understand how can I be a better, you know, um, ally towards um, different communities of, of color and the different situations that they do face. For me, I really would have to agree with what a lot of what you said already, all three of you. I think for me, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, these topics are so important. And I feel like it's easy to shy away from talking about it because kind of what we said, like it it can be a hard topic to talk about, you know, racism and like systemic issues like this. But because it's hard, I think that's exactly why we need to be talking about this, because it affects 
so many people's lives and one thing that really you know stuck with me throughout well especially this past year when the black lives matter movement has really you know gotten more you know rightful attention is the fact that we all have you know like different privileges and i think that's um in terms of like myself i feel like i also experience certain privileges and i feel like you know it's it's a responsibility to be able to you know speak on other people's you know struggles like oppressions like if you yourself are you know in a place to help uh, I don't want to say uh, I don't want to say help because that sounds like savior complex, <laughs> but like I guess just talk about it or like, but also act on it and bring light to it in certain ways. Um, and I would also have to agree with what you guys are saying in terms of like being able to talk about it with peers and like with a supportive group is super helpful because I feel like it's it can get really like layered um yeah so i'm just really glad that we are able to talk about it this way all right moving on what does being anti-racist um mean to you i think for me it means kind of touching what andrea said earlier about how like learning like about these topics um, of racism, uh, how she said it's really something that you're learning continually. And I think for me, that's something I keep, I think of when I think of, you know, being anti-racist, it's something where you continually have to work on it. You know, you continually have to try to be better. You continually have to educate yourself. Um, And so I think for me, that's the biggest thing, you know, like, really working on it um and trying to be better than yesterday and then the second thing i would also say is at like i feel like like being anti-racist is also about you know not giving in to like apathy or inaction i think that's really another thing for me is like I feel like it's it can be easy to you know like ignore what's going on or also like kind of yeah ignore so I think being anti-racist is like about being active because this is important issues yeah I think being anti-racist or anti anything is um just being not a not a xenophobic person um entails like being as Gabby said like being aware of these issues and like educating and continuously being better um and also coming in with the mindset that everyone's reality is not your reality and what you think is your daily life or what is true is different for everybody else and that you know just because you don't face any like discrimination um, in your personal life doesn't exclude other people from that narrative and that other people may experience it. So I think when you're considering, um, you know, how does one be anti-racist or anti-anything um, is considering the fact that you will hear, you will hear and understand narratives that may not be your reality or your truth, but it is the truth of somebody else. And you have to accept that it's still reality regardless. Mm-hmm. So kind of echoing what Ashley and Gabby said, I think the question of like, what does it mean to be anti-racist is a really loaded question. And I think the definition is still constantly evolving. And I'm still trying to define what that means um, on a day-to-day basis and like how to better define it and what that looks like. But I think in general, it is kind of what Ashley, again, was saying is just like being receptive to people's different realities and trying to understand kind of how that fits into your into your life as well you know like what what can you do right or like how do you want to take that story how like what do you want to do about it right like what is your role what is what Gabby was saying like what is the action you want to take after 
hearing that story and hearing that reality. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a, a big part of it for me. And that looks different. And that's why I really lean on to, again, listening to what other people have to say, especially the by POC um, community <laughs> as well and kind of like listening to their stories listening to what they have, listening to what they have to say the solutions that um the solutions that they that they present or suggest yeah. how about for you Lily B what is being anti-racist it's not enough to not be racist you know like it's it's already common sense like everybody knows not to be racist or to be explicit about it in in the sense but not like Gabby said, um, no longer being apathetic or a bystander, but to actually have action against anyone who is or any policy or anything that does go against any uh, discrimination towards any groups of people. Because like, at the end of the day, like, it's not human rights until it's all inclusive, if it's equal and just to everybody, mm-hmm. and accessible to everybody, being more than being more than just, you know, the minimal thing um but to actually be as angry as um the group that's facing the discrimination and to want um yeah justice towards them yeah i really liked what all of you said and it really also made me think about how each of us has a different role to play like in fighting racism in being anti-racist and i think that's also important you know because i feel like sometimes people can think like okay, what can I do in this fight? You know, and I think it's important to see that, yeah, everyone has a unique role, you know, and so like everyone doesn't have to do the same thing or everyone doesn't have to be like the main person or if that makes sense, you know? Um, Yeah, I think picking back off of that, Gabby, on a personal personal level, um, I learned that I don't like being in marches or protests. Like, it gives me a lot of bad anxiety. Um, So during the 2016 election, um, there was a lot of... I was on campus, and there was, like, a lot of um, anger and a lot of hurt and sadness from many in the community that I also felt. And it was a long day. I was working the polls that day. And, um, yeah, and then I joined in on like this walk that students just just super angry that um 45 was elected and so I learned that I get really bad anxiety and protests and stuff and I didn't participate um in protests in general because they just really stress me out and I get really bad like anxiety and panic attacks so that being said like I know that my thing I can do is like something creative and so I try to like you know support creative um BIPOC artists and like engage with them and like be in those spaces and um sharing that kind of art especially written art and that's how I see like my sense of of activism um because I like physically just can't do the physical stuff you know what I mean so like to Gabby's point like it is everyone has their own unique role to play and like under like you don't have to do exactly what everyone else is doing um but know that has to have some kind of positive impact meaning you can't just like write it off and be like okay I'll just do it on social media because social media though it is a powerful tool is like the bare minimum of all the tools that you could do oh my gosh that's so funny how you brought that up Ashley I feel like the exact opposite I feel like <laughs> posting on social media gives me anxiety like I'd rather be like oh. on the streets and like um be in that like energy of like yes like this is what it's about like it's like all these people believe in this and like it makes me it makes me it makes me hopeful that like wow there are people who are willing to go out and like you know voice this out that's just so funny how yeah it is it's so different I like I like being in the general like energy of protest um or like marches but I don't mm-hmm. like being in it I like I, I I like to like be like on the side <laughs> and watch it from afar and like support in that way in my heart but I know I'll get in the middle of it I start like freaking out so I'm like oh no mm-hmm. I'm gonna do that yeah, take care of your mental health. I think it's also about like sustainability too. Like you don't want to do something gonna like hurt you in the long term than like maybe trying to find out a different way to approach the problem or to advocate. 
So it's prevalent within Asian communities and maybe within even our own lives that there's an existing anti-Blackness. Um, what are some examples of anti-Blackness that you have either experienced firsthand or learned about? So I think for me, um, anti-Blackness um, is very rampant in the Asian American community. And I saw that through like family. Um, my family migrated here. And I think that one of the things that influences people so much is media. And like how certain people are portrayed in media um, and music and quote unquote rough neighborhoods, um, which ignores when you don't have the education of it, which ignores the historical, social, and political, Im- political and economic impacts that place black and brown people in communities that are low income. And when you have people from another country who go into these communities and don't know anything about these historical, political, and social impacts, they go in there thinking, okay, this place is like ghetto. <laughs> That's the word, right? Is ghetto because there are brown and black people here. Therefore, the thinking goes on that wavelength, right? And so for me, it was like seeing when I'm in the car with family, like they would like lock the doors and like close the windows if they see a black person walk by. Um, or I would be prohibited from dating a black person or a black man because heterosexuality. And, <laughs> um, and those are like the ways that it manifested, like literally using um, like the black, black community. And that was definitely supported by the minds of colorism which is prevalent in many communities because of colonialism and imperialism and so many historical contexts and history is just so important. Ashley, um, what's, what's colorism for anyone who might oh, be colorism. Little... Yes. Thank you, Gabby. Colorism is essentially having these dis- like act- dis- discriminatory thoughts and behaviors towards a person because of the color of their skin um, that's like an individual level and then on like the societal level it's just seeing people who are usually darker skinned as less than than those who have light, lighter skin and this is because darker skin has been associated with being dirty or low economic status you could definitely relate that to historically colonialism has impeded so many um, countries and islands um, and communities um, where colonizers who are typically European or American or just lighter skin. Um, yeah, colonize. That's the whole thing. Colonizing like a place, right? And saying that people who are lighter skin are better. So anyway, so colorism, like on that mindset is if you see, um, like if for me, like my family members would be like, oh, you look so much better because like you look lighter or like, oh, don't go out in the sun because you get darker. And then associating that mindset to the people who are born darker or born lighter. Yeah, I would definitely also say that I've had similar experience to you, Ashley, in terms of me experiencing anti-Blackness in the Asian American community and specifically the Filipinx community. Um, Yeah, I distinctly remember growing up, I had like a childhood friend who told me the story I I wasn't like I didn't experience it myself but she was telling me a story about how she was driving with her mom one day in a quote-unquote bad area and how they got lost and how her mom like freaked out Mm. because she was saying and she was like yelling frantically like we have to get out of here because you know there's a lot of black people or Mm -hmm. we could get we could get hurt like lock the windows right now like and I just remember I just remember this so vividly because I was really young when my friend told me the story and like at the time I didn't really understand yeah I didn't really understand that what it meant um I was kind of just like oh that's kind of like sounds scary but it's not until I was older you know when we started talking about this like in college um about you know anti-blackness um uh, like in our communities Um, And I would definitely say also, too, what you said about, you know, colorism and 
especially I think it's really common like in within Filipinos to um, talking about or comparing you know the lightness or darkness of your skin and I think that definitely relates to anti-blackness yeah in terms of colorism I think in regards to historical facets especially in the Philippines and the diaspora um, what I learned from some of the classes I've taken at university is this kind of pitting of indigenous folks and higher class communities, essentially those with lighter skin, comparing them to darker skinned uh, indigenous folks who were seen as savages, evident in the St. Louis Fair in the early 1900s, look it up. And so from there, there was this idea that, you know, imperialism is good from America because it strays away from savageness. And I think that's kind of, you know, in a historical way, I can see the cause and of, of an effect of why colorism stems so heavily in the Philippines, among other, of course, factors and reasons. To be darker skinned, you're closer to being the savages that the Americas were trying to save the Philippines from. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like Philippines mainstream media or representation is very um centered on Western values. Like it's really westernized. But still super conservative, right? Like they have these Western ideals, but they don't kiss until like the fifth episode, like unlike like Gossip Girl, you know, so stuff like that. It's so conservative. Yes, yes, yes. No, no. That's definitely it. Yeah, like very yeah, very westernized values, but still in the lens of like, okay, like Catholicism and all that stuff. And I feel like with that, you know, there there's so little representation of, you know, the black community that they only have these, you know, and usually in American mainstream media, like there's only the typical like um you know, gangster or, you know, thug-like stereotype of the Black community and in that media. And if that's the only, you know, channel that they're getting. I think I was going to add on to, like, what you was saying, too, like, the whole image between, like, associating Black people to be, like, thugs and stuff. That also deals with, like, the, the school-to-prison pipeline, which is a whole other conversation, I think, to be had and yeah and how that's also used I feel like racism is also again systemic and it feeds into this capitalist like society for profit but something that I was also thinking about when you guys were talking about kind of like the anti-blackness and Asian community too especially with colorism I also think it's like a I don't want to say self-defense right but it's like I'm thinking like people who immigrated here and there's like a survival mentality right and so when you see kind of like how black people are treated how people you know that there is like you see the discriminatory and like the how they're being portrayed as and I feel like the survival mentality tells you to like don't be that or like if you want to be safe if you want to be if you want to have an opportunities right you need to distinguish yourself and I feel like that's also what kind of encourages this like anti-blackness sentiments is is also it's also like a form of like self-defense you know um it doesn't mean that it's right but i think it's also like one way to look at it and understand um why that is so prevalent bouncing off of what andrea just said i think looking at it from that point of view is also really important what you said about you know Filipinos and Asian Americans wanting to or yeah wanting to assimilate Mm -hmm. and like you know survive Um, I think what really goes in connection with that is the model minority idea and you know for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is um, model minority is essentially like the idea that people in the Asian American demographic Mm. are doing socially and economically better because they are law-abiding citizens and that it is perpetuated to show that if this non-white group can do it why can't black and brown people do it too um and kind of skews the demographic 
numbered when you look at it, like why like certain neighborhoods are white and Asian with low percentage of black or Latino, same with universities. Um, and you can see how this like model minority stereotype has um, manifested itself in reality, but beyond an ideology and a perception of a community, but into again, like demographic numbers. And what's also worse is that um, the fact that the model minority doesn't even apply to all Asian communities because East Asians are completely different from South Asians, completely different from Southeast Asians. And Southeast Asians, particular, like smaller um, communities of like Laos, mm-hmm. Laos, Laos, um, Cambodian, Indonesian, um, Hmong. Mm. Oh. Mer- Kamai? Is it Kamai? Kamai? Um, those communities are like disproportionately higher in terms of poverty um, and, and racial profiling and police brutality compared to Chinese, Korean, and Japanese communities, yeah. Indian yeah. communities as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this, sis Ashley, <laughs> explaining the model minority myth. Um, I think it really does relate to anti-blackness because it's the idea that, you know, Asian Americans want to portray themselves in a certain way and, you know, move away from um, darker skin or the black community also and other minorities. Um, So, yeah. Um, One thing that I think has been really hard to navigate is just like the internalized, right? Internalized racism mm. internalized colorism because it's not so ingrained in our culture and like our upbringing and like even to this day like I still something I constantly struggle with like I know this is wrong but it's like these these like unconscious like implicit bias that I that I have and it's like oh shoot like I need to catch myself and I need to like unpack why and like you know, is that something that I really believe in like understand like what does that mean uh what sparked this thought was I recently came across I think it was on TikTok or on or on Twitter or maybe Ashley shared it but um someone was talking about like racial preferences when they were uh dating or just like preferences when you're dating and that was like whoa because I remember just a couple years ago having this conversation where like someone asked me like oh do you have a preference for like um for a significant other and what's your type like well a lot they were giving me examples so that question came up and right and immediately it's like oh yeah like I kind of have an idea and already as I was answering that question at that time we all kind of like we're like well you know like of course like it's just a preference or like of course I'm open to anything but like we're all kind of like trying to um sugarcoat it and it's only like now after reading I'm like wow that was definitely wrong reading that and being inside and someone like articulate for me that like this is why it's wrong or like this is why it's it's completely like racist for you to have these preferences mm-hmm. I was like oh snap like dang I need to reevaluate that so just just those things that I'm like still constantly processing right following off of those issues of internalizations colorism um all of these um issues within the Asian American community how do you think uh we need to address these issues in not just the community but uh, our families as well it's not going for me <laughs> it's not going dude, for me that, yeah, not dude they do not receive <laughs> them. they do not receive i just I, I feel like it's not only just for the black community but for like any other race mm-hmm. but our own you know and like i feel like it's there's they believe in every stereotype every like every notion there is and you know they just need that education from the like what america Mm -hmm. did to all of these countries Mm -hmm. that they would finally understand that um this country is nothing to be exactly proud of you know it literally baffles me i have family members who are so proud of being American and like they're you know supporting like certain administrations and like governments and things I'm here like I didn't get a five in AP gov (laughs) okay (laughs) 
to see you guys think that this is how the government is supposed to work. And I didn't learn all these things in history in college uh, to hear y'all say these things about, like, you know, the U.S. being so great when they literally ruined, like, our homeland and or the motherland and you know so many other countries like it's just so upsetting <laughs> you're gonna find like yeah i got gov. my gov. <laughs> i was Damn. a sophomore oh, you're <laughs> crazy. Gov, actually. Okay, but yeah. yeah but i think it's great it's yeah like, they ignorance just is bliss extra, truly extra, ignorance i think is it's bliss. also just a product yes. of like the erasure of history right some people do turn a blind eye but i think it's also like people have erased history systematically <laughs> right where it's like they, yeah. they try to certain parts or like the ugly parts or they try to repaint how um certain events happened i think that's also yeah. why mm-hmm. there is this ignorance it's not just like it's not although there are there are definitely people who like choose to ignore certain parts i think it's also just like like that information isn't as available it's also an idea of like confirmation bias is like the psychological idea where a person takes an evidence to confirm something that they already know. So, for example, like if someone sees a white person as um, smarter, um, then they will they will select every time they see like a white person on Jeopardy or something like win the episode or some shit like that and then in their heads it just keeps adding to it ignoring the fact how many like white people lost jeopardy now that's a very 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 surface level example but that's basically confirmation bias means right and so like on the psychological level you have to also consider how people like operate like cognitively and how they see like how like racism or discrimination in general is just going through their minds without even them knowing because they have like we all have like this tendency to see um you know to agree with ourselves so that's why it's another difficult thing to educate like family members and things especially in our community where older is always right for some reason which is untrue um we're supposed to we're taught to respect our elders and always just go with what they have to say and like never talk back um if you're an older person and you see the world in a certain way and you continuously confirm that biases through your lens of the world, then you will have less of a willingness to listen to the younger generation who are trying to educate you with the education that they learned in the very country that you are proud of. And isn't it interesting that they shit on like humanity and social science majors who discuss these things that affect our society and then push us to doing like STEM, which is not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. Just saying that right. doesn't really have these conversations in like their classrooms. But yeah. shit on like English, sociology, should... anthro, psych, the ones that actually mm-hmm. make us all function yeah. in the world that we live in. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's like on top of that, it's crazy how they don't have these conversations when they're out doing they're the they're the ones that are actually out serving people and mm-hmm. everything and if they're not exposed to these conversation if they're not exposed to these issues then they're going about the world and helping the world without yeah. understanding the foundations of what or the people it. they're helping like what what Absolutely. what's the reason why it's yeah like there's a whole there's a a phenomenon where like black women are the like less least like served i guess if that's the word or least acknowledged in the health community and like are always perceived as like not Mm -hmm. actually like having a health issue and then like they have higher um fertility or birth mortality or lower uh birth yeah like mortality rates right mortality especially like birth and things um, particularly black women especially because they have the intersection of being a woman and being black exactly and like how that is a matter of now. life and death but the little racial like stereotypes and the biases and everything that um, a person can grow up with and then put them into a situation of life and death can affect that person the other person's life and it's, it's like very like disheartening and also kind of interesting um to see how like something like media or like family can influence a person's perception on a certain community affect their work and affect that person in that community's life um and then we have you know the rates that we have now 
but that's exactly why why it's so important to have those intersectional conversations when it comes to health and like law and all the other non or I don't know if mm-hmm. I guess law is not in there but engineering and like um health and stuff because there's it disproportionately affects so many BIPOC communities you know doctors and engineers and nurses that are out in the world when you know when they're just more focused on the facts and science you know you lose that empathy that that compassion mm-hmm. for others and it's just not it's not something that they were taught you know as as importantly as the fact also lack well, of education you know? right it's, because it's there there is a disproportionate lo- low number of you know people like BIPOC individuals um how certain things show up on their bodies going back into like the example of medical field I remember seeing something where it's like a certain disease I think it's similar to like chicken pox or something definitely has to do with like a skin oh, disease skin looks different disease. on a white yeah. person than it does on a black person. That's how we're going to able to, like, identify that um, if you're not trained to, like, Gabby. acknowledge mm-hmm. those intersections. You know what I mean? Gabby. Those differences. Are you thinking of Wait, medical what? anthropology like I am? Because you definitely had, you definitely covered that. And how there was, like, literally, I think, like, a Harvard medical student, a Harvard black medical student, um, who literally created, like, a new, uh, like, well, equivalent to, like, the conventional medical book on like diagnosing diseases and that and now it has like examples mm-hmm. of how like these how these diseases look like are manifest in like black bodies on black bodies and i think like this entire conversation just goes back to the idea which of an argument i hear a lot is like okay everyone's like a little bit racist like no matter what skin color you are they're racist or it's anybody who looks different to them especially you know those who aren't like aware of that right and it just makes me think of like, yeah, okay, kind of true, mostly true, um, but in the masses. But at the same time, you also have to consider the impact of how, it could, like, the snowball effect impact racism can have, right? From one small thing in, like, the media to somebody's life mm-hmm. and policies, housing, everything. Yeah, no, definitely. I, 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 do, I wasn't thinking of the medical anthropology class right away, Andrea, but that's like, now that you brought it up, it does remind me of it, of what Ashley's saying. Um, but yes, those are very good points, Ashley. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Did we I... answer the question? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So I think you guys did. I mean, you guys definitely mentioned like, you know, talking about it you know with our families and with the community and like education and I think those are like all really like definitely agree because I think like one thing that comes to mind when you guys were talking about all of that is you know I feel like especially with our parents generation and like our Lola Lolo's generation grandparents for those yes grandparents generation I feel like they're really a product of how they grew up and like this is not saying it as like an excuse for like their certain views but I feel like that product of how they grew up is really a result of the education and the culture that they were exposed to and so like I feel like that's why it's important to talk about these things with them now uh, because you know a lot of times they didn't have kind of what Andrea was saying that they didn't have access to that type of education or um like these types of conversations just like weren't as common um so I think yeah like addressing it in like our families and our communities is like talking about it educating but like that's way easier said than done because like it yeah because also Mm -hmm. I think you guys were also talking about in the beginning like it's it's a struggle sometimes you know talking with like you know older especially older people in your family about it and like kind of what Ashley was saying in terms of like respect is really ingrained in um you know Filipino and Asian communities so like speaking up is also can be hard I would also add back to your point Gabby about education is also social media and how social media has been 
again, though the bare minimum when it comes to activism is also a vehicle of information, especially for our generation of like learning and understanding. My first interaction with understanding the issues of the Black community, of the LGBTQ community, of the, dis- um, the a- disabled, those with disabilities community is through Tumblr. <laughs> that was like my first exposure to any of that. Like I was on watching the cams at Ferguson in 2015 on Tumblr and that's how I learned so much. And like, it was like an awakening for me um, to be aware of these things um, and nowadays like I think with our parents generation and older generations social media is accessible to them but the difference is we have grown up with it where we under like we've we've kind of learned what are best practices of social media and understanding false information and how that can be you know shared and, and you know there's still flaws here and there um in that but I feel like we're a bit more aware of the spread of misinformation than like earlier generations are who kind of just like read a Facebook thing. And they're like, that has to be right. Mm. Cause it's on Facebook. While I would be like, no, let me Google this first. <laughs> let me double check my sources to make sure it's not like, you know, the onion or something. Um, Cause it happens. And I, I remember like, you know, there was this, I have a family member who likes to send some of Trump's like worst tweets. Um, because she, you know, she hates him, and she's like, look at this, what this fool said. Um, and then one time she shared a tweet, and it was a fake parody account. And she didn't realize it. And I'm like, no, you have to look at, you always have to look, <laughs> gotta look at the username to make sure it's the right person. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be spreading, like, you know, false information. And that's just a very funny surface-level example. But take that, you know, somebody saying about a certain community or a certain person um, and how that misinformation can spread. So mm-hmm. being smart on the internet is also really important. And I think teaching our family members who are older to be smart about internet usage and social media is also one way to make sure that at least they could parse the information themselves and you give them those tools. And again, like I said before, like depending on what community or what place they're in, sometimes like, um, like there is in every stereotype, there's like a surface level truth to it. And like, I know for my family, like it's been, they have actually met Black and Hispanic individuals who do fit into that mainstream stereotype um, and just perpetuating that confirmation bias, again, really adding to it, really supporting it. Coupled with those experiences, those personal experiences and lack of critical thinking or information or knowledge. They may have been exposed, but have they been exposed enough and like also educated about all the other stuff information behind that one person? So it's tricky. Mm. I also just came across one of these posts from, um, I don't know if you know of them, but he is one of the co-founders of Wong Fu Productions. Music West, like chat. I follow him on Instagram, and he yes. heard this post about oh how, my like, God. how it's been really difficult for him to talk about like the COVID vaccine um, with his mom and trying to like get her to um, get it or like actually go in with the vaccine because there's so much like fear that's kind of like been in um, been spread regarding the vaccine, and he just talked about how like he's exhausted, and I was like, bruh, same. <laughs> I like really felt that so it is I think should being able to also acknowledge that, like it's hard and there is no like one right way um, sometimes it also just takes time because you're un- you're trying to unpack and reverse generations uh, right generations of racism and like misinformation and that's that's hard that's hard it's not gonna happen through one conversation right Thank you so much for sharing. Um, These combos are most definitely difficult um, in itself, but having them with family is like a whole nother story. And another disclaimer, uh, we are by no means experts and are still learning how to be better allies and incorporate anti-racism in our everyday lives. Um, This is a very dense topic. Sorry if we... um, didn't have the most smoothest conversations or the most smoothest transitions or if we didn't cover everything but let us know if y'all would be more interested in having episodes related to this topic in the future uh we'd be glad 
to continue off this conversation and many more difficult conversations. Um, on a lighter note, I was hoping that um, each of us can share a Black person of color business or product or anything that commemorates Black History Month and how we can support um, any businesses out there or anything that you guys would recommend and suggest to our audience. Yes, so I definitely think there are a lot of different businesses and products to support that are Black-owned or BIPOC-owned. And one that I would like to mention, um, it's not really a single product, but I think Target has done a good job in highlighting um, Black-owned products in their stores. And it's a good step. I think there's a lot more that they could do, but I've, I do think, yeah, that they do have a lot of products that I personally buy from there. Um, so Target has this brand called Honeypot. And so I switched over all of like my menstrual products to Honeypot. Um, and Yes, it's a black woman-owned brand. Um, I really like it for my periods. Um, it's very, very comfortable. <laughs> yes, very high-quality products. Um, so, yeah, that's, like, they have that at Target. Um, they also have other, like, feminine hygiene products from Honeypot. But, yeah, so Honeypot is one brand I would recommend. Um, and then a couple other ones also at Target. Um, is this cookie brand called Partake Cookies. It's so good. It, like, kind of reminds me of, like, Chips Ahoy flavor, but they have, like, all kinds of flavors, and it's, like, gluten-free, clean ingredients. So good. Also, Black woman-owned. Highly recommend. I've already ate two boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then another thing that I bought from Target is uh, this brand called Lip Bar. Um, it's also a black woman owned makeup brand and I've used their like lip gloss. Um, I also plan to switch over to their eyebrow. Oh, I forgot the name of it. Tint. But yeah. I, yes. Eyebrow tint. So I'm planning to switch over to them soon. But yeah, so those are just a couple of brands at Target that are really great. There's more actually. Um, but those are the ones that I've used. Um, so yeah, and then second thing I wanted to mention, not products, but I think another thing for me in Black History Month, but also, you know, continually doing it um, even after Black History Month, but like le- reading and watching things that I can like learn more about the history because you know that our education system didn't teach us it. Um, so yeah, so one thing that I'm reading right now uh and actually, I just watched the movie last week, but I also am reading the book because it's giving so much more detail and I'm it's amazing. Um, but it's called Hidden Figures, and I'm pretty sure you guys have, like, heard of it. Yeah, so I watched the movie last week, um, but this week I, oh, I'm almost done reading the book, too. But it's basically about, like, African-American mathematicians, scientists who helped... Um, no, I didn't even, I shouldn't even say help, who, you know, basically pushed uh, America into advancing, like, their space and flight technology. Um, these women are so badass, and it's so cool, like, hearing their story. So I definitely recommend reading the book, um, or at least watching the movie. Um, so yeah, that's me. Thank you, Gabby. I'm literally looking at the lip bar right now, and I've been looking for a skin tint, and they have really cute, (laughs) they have a good range of colors. Um, Mm -hmm. Their colors are so pretty. Like, yeah. Do you get them online? Because there's none of the Targets now. Oh, never mind. Do you just get them at Target? Yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah, like, they have a literal corner. But yeah, they have like this corner of like literally clothing, accessories, like bottles, everything. Like yeah, I, I, it's it, it, I'm surprised that they did it too. On the same note of recommending movies, I just recently watched The Help, and cried like a baby. Andrew would always like 
use the term like you was smart, you was kind, you was important, and like now finally watching it, I finally got it. I'm like, oh my <laughs> god, you're more into like to shine more on like modern events. Queen and Slam was a really good mm. movie. I felt like it um, encompassed a lot of what we're going through right now in the in our current social climate, but. Um, a lot with the questions um, for all sides. It's definitely, definitely a worthwhile cinema movie. And then also to talk about the trend on TikTok when Fufu and a Goosey Soup and um, Jollof Rice was all trending and everything. Um, I was able to find a restaurant called Golden Safari in Hayward up in the Bay if anyone's out here. Um, whoever wants to try out African cuisine. Oh, well, I just want to say also, like, um, uh, when you brought up, like, the help, I know, like, there was some, uh, like, not controversy, but, no controversy, there's controversy on, like, how, um, like, even though it is on the subject of, like, slavery, um, discrimination, it, yeah, discrimination, it's also people of Black people, but, a lot of people have also commented on how like it's more catered towards being more palatable towards um white people right or like that's how the narrative mm. is it's kind of rather than like the the main oh my what is it the main person is it, like white i mean the like, main person is emma like the white yeah. savior complex yeah or it's like it's like it's, it's showing it from her perspective yeah. right also, it's um, the director is is white, but it's still you know it's it's still it's still on the subject of slavery, and um, it's a good movie. It's also a good book too. Is the person who wrote it? You know, Octavia Spencer really did be hidden though. I mean, <laughs> she did. Oh, good. And also, gosh, oh, yeah, so this, the cast is literally phenomenal. Catherine, Sawyer. I know she also said that like it's one of those roles that she regrets taking. <gasps> yeah because she just like okay. she didn't really think about it and let's like see it's like something that you kind of like Catherine Stockett like, is a white woman yeah oh is she the writer from Jacksonville Jackson Mississippi yeah and it's it's taught I mean and then like I'm not surprised because it's taught it's like written in the perspective of a white person yeah makes sense but that's another like just having the conversation with someone right about like mm-hmm. how these stories are depicted and who they're who they're I think it's a great conversation starter um, so it's still a good recommendation. Everybody, by the way, everybody has such great recommendations. Gabby, I'm definitely no, I'm definitely gonna look into those products as well. I'm excited. Gabby, I literally Googled um, every time you spoke. I was like good like looking it up each and every one of them. Yeah. Um, so for me, someone that went to my high school and actually was in my graduating class, he started his own um podcast called the Cul-de-sac podcast. He hosts it. Um, and he talks about kind of like his experience as a black man um, and like, you know, how he feels about like Black Lives Matter movement. And he also talks about like really relatable things. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. And then one of my favorite authors, and I know Gabby, this is also yours too. And the author's name is ta Coates. Yeah, I remember the first um, exposure I had to his writing is um, that UCLA book uh, between you and what is it the what is it called between the world oh. and me. Well, and that was one of the first books where like I remember just like crying. Like I don't think I've ever cried when I read a book. But I remember just crying, and there's I even had like a screenshot of like a specific page. I was bawling, and it really like humanized that experience, right? Um, so I highly recommend him. I'm currently reading We Were Eight Years in Power because Gabby recommended it and it is amazing. It's really enlightening. Um, but yeah, so check out um, Tanahasi if you ha- if you don't, but you probably have already because he is um, a well-known writer. He writes for The Atlantic as well. Yes. So yeah, thank you guys so much for your recommendations. Um, I... We'll start with food because I'm a foodie. And so for those in the LA area, um, if you're in the area, I recommend 
the local chain Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, which is black owned, and their chicken waffles are so bomb. Oh my god, I live near one, <laughs> and it's a little bit pricey, uh, but it's so worth it with the the crispy waffles and the tiny little squares and the chicken. Oh my god, it's so good. Um, I also really love um, just trying food from other countries. And so if you're in the Beverly Hills area, definitely check out Little Ethiopia um, for some Ethiopian food. My favorite that Gabby actually put me on is Mesub. Um, we, we tried it once and it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, and also if you're in the Inglewood area, check out Veronica's Kitchen for that Nigerian food, um, Egusi and Fufu. Um, be aware of the three-hour wait you may encounter, so be prepared. But I'm telling you, it's well worth the wait. And in terms of media, um, I would recommend the documentary The 13th on Netflix. It's like my favorite go-to documentary to explain the prison industrial complex and how it disproportionately affects Black Americans. Um, and if you are a type to just listen to short bits of video but still want to understand and be a better ally, decoded series on MTV um, hosted by Francesca Ramsey, um, where she explains literally everything you need to know um, regarding whether um, that's like, like, you know, police brutality to what are racial preferences when dating, um, things like that. I was first exposed to her in an Asian American studies class. And that's where I also learned that racial preferences in dating is inherently just racism. Um, and also in terms of um, podcasts, check out Code Switch by NPR. Um, they are two people who I believe, yeah, two people who basically talk about race and culture. Um, books, We Gonna Be All Right by Jeff Chang is, um, I think, really interesting because you rarely see, or I don't really see a lot of books that also tell like talk about the position of Asian Americans, who which I the community I identify with, um, in terms of Black allyship, and so he t- discusses segregation, um, and race, and really gets into the nitty gritty of that in terms of Ferguson as an example because it, I think it was released in like 2018, 2017, um, or 2016, 2016, yeah. Um, but Jeff Chang, he also has like a section on it, um, and I know. Some of our listeners may be of the Asian American community, so if you're interested in that. Um, also, quick plug, I am an editor for some books. My author, Odemi Pesu, is going to be publishing in late April, early May, her book, Poetry Collection, Force of Nature. She is a first-gen Nigerian woman. Her parents are from Nigeria. She was born in the U.S. And uh, her poetry is about womanhood, um, being a Black woman, um, and really embracing all aspects of her, of her identity and just herself. It's really beautiful poetry. I could tell you the truth on that. I've edited it. And so be on the lookout for that um, when it comes um, April, May. Thank you for those recs, Ashley. I'm literally, I'm literally going to replay this episode so I can write all of those down. <laughs> um, yeah, so... What you guys said, it reminded me of more wrecks that I had. So um, last year, I read The Immortal Life. Oh, yes. Good book. I read that too. Yes. So it's ba- basic summary. It's about how the cells from this woman, Hen- African-American woman, Henrietta Lacks, was taken and used for experimentation. Um, and they asked her, but it wasn't informed consent. Yeah. Like, they didn't say what they were using it for or anything like that. And they profited off of her cells as well. And, you know, also had a lot of advancements in research done from this woman's cells. But yeah, so that's a really great read. I learned a lot. And I think another thing that really stuck out to me in that book was the fact that, you know, her cells brought out all these great advancements. But yet her own family, like, couldn't afford healthcare. Mm-hmm. Like, so so many people benefited from her cells, yet her own family, you know, was in this really hard situation. And I think that's, like, really representative of, you know, medical racism and how, like, a lot of uh, Black individuals, but also other people of color, like, have such a hard time accessing 
care and resources. Um, so yes, I, I would say that book is really great. Um, and then another show I would, well, a show I'd like to recommend, um, it's called Insecure. <laughs> so it was created, written, and starred by Issa Rae. I love her. She's a queen. Um, and this show is amazing. Well, first of all, it's just super entertaining. Like, if y'all want to go on a ride through drama, like, this is a show for you. Um, but also, it just, I think, really honest storytelling of, like, just real stories in the Black community. Um, and that's also what I really love about it. Um, and it's hella funny. So, yeah, I really recommend watching it. <laughs> Um, my nonprofit I wanted to also add to mine is Swirls for Girls, and it's essentially a mentorship program for young girls ages 6 to 16 in the Los Angeles area, um, and according to the website, they're a diversity group based out of LA that brings girls of all flavors together to support and inspire each other through culturally diverse and interactive education, mentorship, friendship, friendship and activities, um, Swirls for Girls, and I met one of the founders at a um, poetry reading before the pandemic, and she was really cool, so go ahead and support them if you can, um, or if you know somebody who'd be interested in being part of the mentorship program. Thank you for all your recommendations and suggestions. Um, we'll make sure to plug all of these um, suggestions either on our Instagram uh, please check them out. Before we end the episode, um, let's go ahead on updating last week's seed of the week and your new possible seeds that you want to work on for these next couple of weeks. I'll go ahead and start. Um, last week's seed of the week for me was to work on my bedtime revenge mm-hmm. pro- procrastination. Um, it was to start prioritizing my sleep and rest uh, rather than mindlessly going through my phone or on social media. Um, I want to say I did a pretty good job. Um, I tried to get at least seven hours of sleep. Instead of going on my phone before sleeping, I would actually do stuff that like would relax me and get me um, ready to sleep. Like I'm taking a lot yeah. of melatonin pills. <laughs> I'm definitely using those but yeah I've been you know buying like you know candles and just making sure that I have this whole ritual an hour before I actually sleep so adding another hour to my bedtime routine and getting ready for bed my new seat of the week is to continue with time management um, I definitely want to start utilizing like mo- most of my day I I always end up like at the end of the day just wondering where the heck did it go um but I think it has to do with the fact that like maybe it's the breaks in between or um some days I'll just call it early and such but I really want to set my goals in place and making sure to follow through um so time management Hopefully, um, I'm just more efficient and more productive these next couple of weeks, especially in my work, especially in work. Um, I think last week it was just about like journaling more. Uh, I did have one really good journal entry where I just like dumped everything and it was so good. Uh, for my new seat of the week, going along the lines of Tanahasi and Your Eight Years in Power, his book, I need to finish that like two weeks ago, a month ago, really. So I, I need to finish it. Um, but I'm also just like taking my time and it's like, it's a lot, you know, and I really, re- like I'm taking notes and stuff. Um, so I don't want to sacrifice like the learning process, but I also just know that I need to, I want to finish it. Like, that's the point. <laughs> that's it. Um, my seat of the week last week <laughs> or last time was to get a new freelance client Oddly enough, I didn't have to do anything because I got them anyway. Um, Literally, I think the day after I made the seat of the week commitment, I was approached by the clients I already worked for um, for more different projects. So 
I'm onboarded for those things and kind of sometimes the universe just works in funny ways and when I asked for it it just gave it to me and he's like oh thank you so much and now I have a little too much work but that's okay um because I feel really really happy my seed of the week for the next few weeks is to just give myself some more time to to breathe I had some mental health stuff happening last week and I really just needed to take the time to just sit and like listen to my body. I think that's a better seat of the week. I'm going to be more intentional about listening to my body. If I feel too tired to do something, I'm not going to try to push it. I think what's really nice about my freelance life right now is that I can move things to a later time if need be as long as I reach a certain deadline. So if I can't work when I wake up then I move it to the nighttime and it usually works out but not like giving myself that guilt of not completing something and just knowing that I will always have time to complete it and I just have to be kind to my body when she's tired when she's hungry when she's full oh I've also created a new relationship with food so that it's a healthier relationship because I haven't had a good relationship with food for a long time so I'm working on that. And I think that goes with the body thing. So that's my seed of the week. Thanks for sharing, Ashley. My seed of the week last week was to be more mindful of just going on social media throughout the day when I'm like not really doing anything. Uh, and also like at the start of the day and also before I go to sleep. Um, so yeah, just like decreasing, just mindlessly scrolling. Um, so yeah, I feel like it went well this past two weeks. I feel like I was able to recognize more, like, when I was going on, and I was like, oh, why am I even going on social media right now? Um, so I think it's, it will always be a process, but I think just, like, recognizing, yeah, like, I don't really want to go on social media right now, but, so I just put my phone down. Yeah, so it went well. My new seat of the week is to take care of some of uh, adult things <laughs> um or i i do need to be a little bit more on top of collecting stuff for example for like my taxes um i haven't started really doing that yet and it's like I april's coming up taxes. soon so yeah so i need Brian, oh, wow. my aunt <laughs> my aunt is my no, accountant so i just give her everything and she just oh. does it yeah so i need to get on that um because I know it's approaching fast. So I yeah, needed to take care of some financial adult things. Um, so I think for me, the next two weeks, uh, I need to be working on that. All right. Thank you for sharing. Uh, please tune in to the next episode to see where these seeds will take us. Um, thank you for listening. And we hope that you got anything out of this um, episode, whether it's a recommendation or um, something that you didn't know about. Um, as always, we're grateful for anyone who tunes into our podcast. Thank you so, 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 so much for any of the support um, messages and feedback that uh, you've given to any four of us. We definitely appreciate them. We definitely read them and we definitely love them. We'd love to see more of anything. Bye. Bye. Bye.